previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. Poker is 50% luck. Outside of the cards, it's so much luck that it's like no matter how good you are, if you just have an unlucky day, there's no way you're going to win. Set your coordinates and lock in your location because it's time for the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the meeting place to talk sports, pop culture, and everything in between. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Holland. This is a weekly show where I talk with guests about their connection to sports. My guest for this week, Mikel Ramos, is an aspiring sports journalist who has accomplished a lot so far in her career, but she's not content with where she is. Ramos, a Washington, D.C. native who currently hosts her own podcast, Rolling with Ramos, drops in to talk about her passion for sports and how it led to her interest in broadcasting. In addition to that, Ramos touches on the growing influence of women in sports journalism. She'll also discuss who some of her broadcasting influences and mentors are, the one national media member she's able to sit down and break bread with, what it's like experiencing HBCU football at Morgan State University, and sports between the beltways. Right now, let's get to my interview with Mikel Ramos. This week's guest, she has her own podcast talking about sports, and she recently celebrated her 50th episode of Rolling with Ramos. And this is my guest, Mikel Ramos. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Earl? I am doing absolutely great. I always say every day above ground is a good one. And it's always good to talk with people who love talking about sports because I feel like sports is something at a time that can bring people together, especially with everything going on. Other times it can be a little bit divisive depending on who your fan base is, but it's always good to have good conversation about sports. People just need to understand you can't leave sports out of a sentence when it comes to society. Sports and society go hand in hand and when you try to take it apart, that's something that's not going to happen. From your most tragedy to triumph stories have come from sports. I mean, look at this week alone with Ray Cruz and how that's kind of sort of divided heads and as far as thinking. So sports is here to stay in this world. It's as American as it comes. It's a great pastime no matter what sport you like. It's just something that ignites a whole lot of things in human beings and People just need to remember it's no living without sport. And that is something that is definitely true. What led to your fascination with sports? What was the biggest draw to sports for you? Growing up, I used to play with the trash can with my cousin. We used to pretend like they were basketball courts before he even got one. And my dad, growing up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, was an all-star athlete. He played many sports, basketball games, um, XPs. I don't know, sports, I always feel like innately was grown in me before I even knew it. I always had a love for it. I don't know. It was just something that came natural to me, not just playing it, but conversing in it. And once I was nine years old, I was a big, you know, everybody's a big Michael Jordan fan then, and it's not in the 90s and the finals with the Utah Jazz. And I don't know. I just remember being in front of the TV and watching TV and NBA on NBC. And I know everybody still remembers that jingle. <laughs> and I remember being in front of the TV and and Amar Rashad was on there. I remember seeing him and the camera went to Hannah Storm. And then ever since then, because ne- my life made sense. And my favorite player, Kobe Bryant, the only one that could sit next to the GOAT, if you want my personal opinion. But uh, <laughs> my favorite player is Kobe Bryant. He said in an interview before he retired with Amar Rashad, and don't quote me exactly, but he said, you know, people go their whole lives not knowing what their passion is and what drives them. And 
he was lucky to find his at a young age, and I was lucky to find mine at a young age. From then on, I knew what I wanted to do, and I wanted to be, and that was before I even knew what Hannah was doing. She was broadcasting. She was a sports broadcaster. And then once I figured out the name, I already knew. And I remember being in, in, in school and, and reading the paper and going back and forth with the boys. And I went to college. I didn't have to change majors. And, I, you know, I knew I wanted to be a communications major. I just knew the direction I was going, and I've done that ever since. And, I'm one of the best ones and um, sports is just always the conversation, the writing, the talking. It always put me in a world where no matter what was going on with me, that little hour or five minutes I was talking about sports kind of sort of blocked everything that was going on and it put me in a good space, you know, and I always had a passion for it. Yeah, I definitely understand that sports can be such an escape from the everyday and what's going on in your life. And I know a lot of people always talk about it as it being not only an escape, but a distraction, as you mentioned before. And I feel like watching sports, being in the area where sports is, it is just such an exciting thing. It's sort of hard to really describe. You can actively talk to people who who say, I'm not a big sports fan. And it's weird when you see people... It's just hard to explain. It's like finding someone who's never eaten at McDonald's. It's hard to believe that actually is something real. I always tell people, even if you don't like sports, even if you're not a big sports fan, I tell my girlfriends all the time, we went to a football game. There's no way you can feel a little chicken in there. If somebody hit somebody hard, you'd be like, ooh, ah, like there's something that the electricity within. And, and, you know, people tend to forget. And that's what's going on in this country when it comes to the kneeling and football and NFL. Why do I want to turn on football to watch you make a stance on politics and society? When I watch it on football on a Sunday, I want to escape from what's going on. I want to watch something that's entertaining. But people need to also understand that in whole totality, if we can go back to 9-11, when everything was going on in 9-11, and the country was such an uproar as to wanting to remember what it was to be American again and finding hope and faith and logic in what was going on at that time. It was football, it was sports that brought this society back together. The, the light at the end of the tunnel came from Giants Stadium. I don't know, a dry eye at Giants or, J- or Yankee Stadium when either one of those teams that that time took the field. It made you proud to be an American. And I know that when you do sports, we refuge. But at the same time, these men and women make lives out of this, they take care of their family. It's a lot of skill that goes involved in it. Not to mention, um, it's also a way to have a spotlight, to have a stance. It's damned if you do, damned if you don't. You can't come from Muhammad Ali and tell LeBron James to shut up and dribble. But then when it's all about misogyny and women and having money, and that's what we portray them as, if we portray them as that, then... They're not using their platform for the righteousness of what they use their platform. So you kind of sort of have to pick your poison. You sort of have to have that middle ground. And I just wish people that would come about it more when it comes to that. Because sports is a refuge, yes. We watch it to enjoy it. But at the same time, these sports figures are not just sports figures anymore. People aren't growing up wanting to be doctors and lawyers. They are. They're growing up wanting to be LeBron James. They're growing up wanting to be people like you and me. You know, so it's the times that we are in. I know one of the toughest things is something that I won't ever experience is being a woman in the sports world. I remember at a time when I did an internship in college, I was interning at Channel 4 in Washington. And I remember George Michael 
sitting at the anchor's desk with one of the female interns. And one of the things he mentioned to her, and it was a sound piece of advice. As a woman, you're going to need to know twice as much as any male sports anchor will. You'll need to know not only the starting quarterback, you need to know their backup. You need to know every coach. You need to know every assistant just to feel like you're on an even playing ground with a male sports anchor. Is that something that you feel is still true at this moment? Of course, that was about 15 years ago for me. But at this moment, do you feel like that's something that's still the same? Times have changed a whole lot. I mean, look at what Jamil Hill's been able to do in this year alone. Not only did she come on the president for the first time, but she's established herself totally. And she already had prior to that moment, but she established herself as one of the most go-to righteous sports journalists in this country and being a female. These days, it's not so taboo for a woman to want to have a microphone and do sports. It's not like, oh my God, how dare you, young lady? I mean, to quote Martin Payne exactly, you can't stop with the big dogs. And stopping with the big dogs is stomping with guys in this field it's not but it's not that taboo but at the same time when you do walk into a room and you're a female and you want to do sports or when you look at inside the nfl you look at the nfl on nbc you look at the nfl on cbs and nfl on fox our faces are not on there not in, the, in total abundance and when they're in total abundance they're just on the sideline it's like you add a, a triple entendre when you say not only am i a female I want to talk sports, and then I'm black. So when you do all of that, you kind of sort of put yourself in a position where you allow people to throw the bowling ball at you in your pen. But at the same time, being such a minority, I found it very lucrative, and I found it to be a beautiful position and a beautiful group to be in. I am a female in the sports industry, and because I'm a female in the sports industry, yeah, I may not be sitting next to a lot of people like me. I'm 30 years old, so I'm young. Whereas if I walk into a locker room, I'm with older white and black men and women that have been in this industry for a long time, they're older. So, you know, I still got a long way to go. But we live in a day and age that you don't have to be attached to something to feel like you've made it. Growing up, everybody said, oh, I want to be on ESPN. I want to be on Fox Sports 1. I want to do this. I have my own podcast where I have my own voice and I create my own content on a weekly basis. I am the journalist that I want to be without having to have someone tell me. And I found great solace in being able to have my own voice and having a co-host that believes in me and my vision. And um, we've come a long way from allowing us in the locker room. We've come a long way from 15 years ago when you talked about George Michael. We've come a long way. There's still a long way to go. But I will say that when it comes to females in this industry, that we do have a voice. And sometimes every now and then you get reminded that even though you have a voice, that it's a little bit off for some people. I mean, look at happened to Cam Newton and his comments a year ago and what happened to that. Every once in a while, you got to walk in the door and continue to show them who you are. And I think once if we continue to do that and continue to keep striving, there's still going to be a new wave of women, including myself, that can come in and show a difference. And I just hope that people are continuing to become more open-minded in the process. But we have a voice and it's become more of what it used to be and it's not like a oh my god pastor anymore. Now, I saw that you've had some opportunities to not only do podcasting, but I remember maybe a, a few years ago, you had a chance to actually do some sideline reporting in Los Angeles. Well, that came about, honestly, because, like I said, I'm a big Kobe fan, and that was um, his farewell tour. If you ever told me that I would be a part of his farewell tour, you could have killed me then because I probably wouldn't believe you. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at that time, I was um, doing some freelancing, being able to do some work covering the Wizards, and the Wizards happened to be going over to Los Angeles to face Kobe and the then Lakers at that time. It happened to be Kobe's last Easter game and I paid my way to get there totally and when I got the credential, I just went and it was an amazing experience. 
As I've always mentioned with other fellow journalists, how do you try, once you are on the sideline in a situation like that, to not only distinguish yourself, but to separate the fan from the professional? You know, at this point, I wasn't really on the sideline. I did a couple of stand-ups for got a couple of interviews. And, and you know, it's funny about that because we're waiting on Kobe to come into the locker room. Mind you, the way they make statements and everything look on TV when you finally get in there and you stand in there, it's like, wow. So I get there. And we're waiting on Kobe to come in the locker room and everybody's finding positioning and ducking in the cameras, trying to make sure my phone can sit there and, and get the sound bite. And next thing you know, you see this tall figure and and the room parts like the Red Sea. And they, they allow him to get to the locker. And for a moment, I have Kobe Bryant standing in front of me and everything inside of me wants to collapse and cry and tell him how much he's meant to me over the years and how much he's inspired me because a lot of people forget the Mamba mentality and how he goes about his craft and inspiring in his own right. But um, for a moment, I had to remember I'm a journalist with a camera in front of him with a chance to get a sound bite. And, you know, once I put that inside of me, all that went away. It's not that hard, you know, and especially as a female in this industry, I want you to respect my microphone being in front of you as anybody else. I have a question and I want you to answer it. And I hope you answer it and give it the same gumption as you would give everybody else in room it's not hard because let's be real one of the reasons we all got into this issue because we were such fans of the game but if you're such a fan of the game and comparable to comparison you want to give the fan the question name that they want you want to give them the answers that they need that they desire and that's your job and I take solace and I take that with pride to go in that room and to go in there and do it. And if you do that, being a fan and all that, in that moment, it will not matter. And then, you know, afterwards, you know, you can have a little conversation. You have a talk. I remember talking to Kobe after he was walking away saying, I think it's funny how people think you don't pump your own gas. He said, you know, right? He laughed and he walked away. And that's something I could take for myself personally. But at the end of the day, I got what I needed to give the people that believe in me to get the news. You know, you have to sort of have that easy divide. You have to be able to make that divide for yourself, but you can do it. Once you're in that professional mindset, you have to stay that way and, and stay professional throughout. I've had times I've interviewed a lot of people like Cal Ripken, Allen Iverson and things like that. And you always got to know when you're in that mode. You have to not only be professional, but you got to ask good questions. I feel like that sometimes is lost among journalists nowadays trying to ask good questions. Sometimes you hear the same ones over and over. And I know you probably saw the interview they did with Chris Sale where the guy started off with the phrase talk about. I know that's a pet peeve for some journalists. You just start off with a question. You should say, what did you do so well in this series or so-and-so? Someone will start with, talk about the series, talk about how you did so well, I mean, things like that. And I think it's something that tends to be a little more prevalent as journalists get younger or something like that. Or maybe it's something that's always lingered, but not as much. At the end of the day, athletes are people. They're humans. I mean, I know it has to be frustrating to know that you got to have a bunch of cameras and everybody just picking at everything at you. They're going to pick at the game. They're going to pick at something personal you're going through. If you're going through something personal. I remember one time Carmelo being in Baltimore for a day of giving. It was a, the TV tournament in Baltimore. He was one of the fixtures and bringing it to Baltimore. And, you know, Carmelo Anthony, he does a lot of humanitarian work in his, himself, you know. And at that time, he had just left the Knicks. 
he had just gone through all his personal issues with his wife and that was being center stage the whole summer so everybody was waiting for him to in a degree to come out of hiding and that was the first time he actually came out of hiding to some people he was in Baltimore and I'm standing there with reporters and you know the event is about the hometown boy coming to Baltimore the guy that's been in these neighborhoods and he's made it out of them it isn't about where he's going to go to next talk about Carmelo are you going to go to Oklahoma City I mean what's going on with you in the Knicks it's not about that at the time you got to remember to pick and choose what questions you're going to ask based on the scenery and I hope that as I have longevity I'm able to have a rapport I remember one time being at the NABJ convention it was my first one in Boston and Lisa Salters was being honored and she said one of the things that made her such a good reporter and Kobe told her this as well as the fact that she was honest she had integrity and people and he could respect that from her you go in there and have honest and you have integrity and you're just not looking for the sound bite that's going to make waves on the internet and you're actually looking for an answer to your question and you want to have a conversation versus just an answer and a question, you're going to get the results that you want. And, you know, we're there to get answers, but we're also there to be respected and to not cry. And that's the beauty. Now, you went to Morgan State, am I right? The Morgan State University, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you went to an HBCU and I went to an HBCU at UMES. And you were able to experience what I haven't been able to experience, and that's HBCU football. What is it about football at an HBCU that makes the experience so much better? Oh, man. I know we want to talk about the Big Ten and all that type of good stuff, but there's a lot of talent in HBCU football. You know, Vashante Shanko came from Oregon State University, you know, and you look at guys, the SWAC, the CIAA, there's great programs and, and, and wonderful athletes. And, you know, you have to be not just aware of football on a grander scale. When you talk about Notre Dame and that and so forth. I wish that the nation would be more open to the talent that's in historically black colleges and universities to allow them to transition more into the national scale. There's so much. Willie Lanier went to Morgan. Look what he was able to do. And when you talk about HBCUs just talk about history, you know, and I just wish that the excitement that's put on more of, of games where it's TCU and someone else is also put when it comes to HBCU football. It's a lot of electricity. It's a lot of professionalism. It's still the same amount of professionalism. It's still programs that's just trying to thrive. I mean, North Carolina A&T was undefeated last season. I mean, there's so much and um, it's so important to our culture. It's also important to see these guys thriving as well, and especially on the national scale. So please always be aware of that. And UMES itself also had its big players, Art Shell, Earl Christie, Emerson Boozer. In fact, I think at one point UMES held the record or co-holds the record with Miami for most uh, players from a single school in a Super Bowl game. And that was Super Bowl three. There were a couple on the Colts and three on the Jets. And in fact, I think there's only one player from UMES, Johnny Sample. He is the only player to win an AFL championship, an NFL championship, and a Super Bowl. So yeah, art school history, but the problem was it's just state of Maryland. It was having some issues, and they had to shut down the program in the late 70s, early 80s. And so far, only a few people know about the history of that. But places like Bowie, Morgan, they are keeping the history of HBCU football alive in Maryland.
Not to mention, you know, Morton State was participated in the first the Yankee Stadium and the HBCU Classic and how great those games have been. And now you start to, now they're there all the time. I've done a couple games in the Meadowlands myself. So it's a lot, historically speaking, there's no way you cannot talk about HBCU football. What's your thought on the HBCU Bowl that they have at the end of the year? I feel like while it's a great idea in practice, I feel like teams in the SWAC and the MEAC should have an opportunity to play for the FCS title and as opposed to just maybe get what I feel is maybe like a token bowl game. I know it kind of feels like it's a token bowl game because it's like, here, this is your own personal bowl game you have to yourself. It's not the Rose Bowl. It's not the Fiesta Bowl. It's to crazy proportions as those. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's also a step into a door, you know? Let's be real. They're not going to put Morgan in a Fiesta Bowl. They're not going to put Morgan in the Rose Bowl. But there is something that you can go to. And when you go to Atlanta and you go to that Superdome and you see all the HBCU pride in there, you see all the black folks with the family reunion in there, it's a party in there. And um, it's our own. And it's something for us to come and appreciate. And, and over the years, it's also become something that people have learned to respect. I mean, I think when you talk about HBCU football, people want so much. And you have to also remember of who we are and what we've paved the way for in this country. I mean, you got a long way to go on a lot of things. But at least we can say that HBCU Bowl is ours, and we can showcase this that talent. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. I know that before I moved to Delaware, one of the big talks was when they had the FCS tournament a few years back, for years how the University of Delaware and Delaware State had not met, and they're right in state. They're separated by, I'd say, 40, 50 miles, and it seemed like there was a history of either Delaware avoiding playing in Delaware State. And then finally, once they had that playoff berth and they faced each other, now everyone can said, finally, now we get to see who's the best team in the state and bragging rights and things like that. And I think that while Delaware State came out on the short end of that matchup, I think it was something people had always been wanting to see for the longest time. And I think that bowl game is probably comparable to what everybody always talks about, the CIAA stuff that goes on every year. But I don't know. It's, it's like one one of those things that sort of I'm torn between. You're torn. I mean, it's if you want a grander scale, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I, I totally do. Yeah, it's, I mean, and now I believe North Carolina A&T is ranked pretty high in the FCS right now. And I feel like they could give a challenge to some of these other teams playing in, in FCS right now. Maybe not a North Dakota state. I think that's some of the issue. I don't think people think that they can that an HBCU can contend over in that arena. You have the rankings to do so, so why not? It's like a stay in your lane kind of thing. It sucks because it's like battle ground, you know, of acceptance, you know? They totally could give an opportunity. Yeah, and that's my thing, especially HBCUs throughout history have always not gotten their fair shake of things. And I just feel like while the bowl game is great, or maybe that's something they just do in addition to getting a spot in the playoffs. I feel like if you could do both, instead of just sort of not giving them a chance to compete for a FCS title shot, I feel like they can do both. Maybe have that the next to last game of the regular season and then do that before heading into playoffs. I think it's the best way to have a conversation. I hope it continues the conversation and they allow them into new territory because of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I believe that as well. How did you get into the decision to start doing podcasts? I know, weren't you a part of the Flex Zone at one point before uh, setting out and doing your own podcast? 
Yeah, I was a part of Flash Phone with my great friends and colleagues, Andre Milton and Kevante Hurd and Roger Herring, Byron Dixon. I was a part of that with them. And um, eventually they allowed me to host and I realized how much I was loving it and things of that nature. But you know, the Flex Zone also went through a time period where it was in limbo, was this deciding where it was leaving Fox Sports 1340 AM and was deciding where else it wanted to go and where it was going to build on its own. And for me during that limbo, it was very difficult because I didn't want to stop working. I didn't want to stop producing. And we had stopped doing shows then. It was figuring out what was going to happen. And I had a meeting with someone. Well, he already had a station where he was... um, he had a whole bunch of podcasts on there and I went in there and, and had a meeting. A friend of mine made that meeting for me. And then I was just like, you know, it's time to be on my own. It's time to be by myself and it's time to do this because I can't sit and wait on this timing. Timing is of the essence and I want to produce my own content. And February 27th, 2017, it's been a year of rolling with Ramos ever since. And it's grown of epic proportions, 50 episodes. We'll celebrate two years in February, and I'm just happy to keep on clicking forward. And it's, it's been an awesome experience to the point where I've never found everybody wants to be in the industry where they want to work with somebody and have their name attached to something. Whereas I walk into a room, I'm myself. I walk in with my last name. Well, my daddy's name. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I've had some great people on there Jay Harris and Rob Parker, who've all become mentors to me, and Rosalind Gold and Wound Dave I've had some good names on there, and I've also been able to create content that people respect and enjoy, and uh, I'm just happy about that. It's the gift that keeps on giving, and I want to continue to give, and for people to see sports through my eyes, and if you never roll with Ramos, get on this train, because it's amazing, and I'm crazy, and um, shout out to Tristan Morris, my wonderful co-host that allowed me to drive him crazy, but he believes in my vision, and it is what it is, and let's go. I know you mentioned having a co-host. I know the biggest thing when it comes to doing a show, and I notice that a lot, especially mine is more solo interview based. I feel like it must be easier having someone to throw ideas off of in studio as opposed to just doing the one-on-one concept of interviewing. Oh, man. People say to me, Mikhail, you can stand by yourself. You can stand alone. You don't need a co-host. And I always try to explain, I love that back and forth interaction. I love to be able to disagree and not agree with what you agree with. I love the fact that we can agree together on certain things. Every great sports show you see is somebody with somebody and partnered. And I know I can stand alone and I'm not afraid of it, but I've never wanted to. I always enjoy that. And um, I'm happy to have a co-host. I always joke and say Tristan knows everything because he truly does know everything. (laughs) He can dabble in everything. He's a great guy. And um, the expertise he brings is just awesome. And we make a great team and we feed off each other well and we compliment each other well and that's something that i'm totally happy about i like asking different journalists different things because depending on their field some are have a print background some have a broadcast but what do you feel is probably one of the biggest things plaguing maybe sports journalism today Mm, wow it's crazy because being a part of the national association for black journalists prior to that i felt like i was in an island on my own but when you're a part of an organization as such you family you don't feel like you're so much alone but i think one of the issues that's playing journalism today is not the growing times it's growing with the times but also accepting respecting the people that came before and made certain barriers but also allowing lead ways for those that are trying to make it in and trying to establish a name 
And some people may think that Jamil Hill is the only white female journalist. That's the only female journalist that you can respect. No, there is a me. There is, um, if I can talk about some of my colleagues, Vashai Hurt down in Carolina, the Carolina Blitz. She's amazing. You know, the work that she does with the Carolina Panthers, and she has her own site. You just don't have to pay attention to what you see. Allow others to be inclusive in that and for us to build something past what our predecessors have built. There's a whole new wave of women, if I could speak personally, that's ready to take this industry by storm and that they're trying to continue to grind and do what they have to do. You look at the familiar faces you see all the time, but also get used to seeing those new faces as well. Be inclusive, be as more inclusive as you've ever been, especially to women of color. We have a voice and we're here too. I know you mentioned earlier that Jay Harris and Rob Parker, they become mentors to you. Who were some of your early broadcasts and journalism influences? Um, Hannah Storm. I remember walking at an ABJ convention in Minnesota, and we were in a panel, and Cindy Brunson walks up. Cindy Brunson. You got to look at Doris Burke. I had opportunities to meet with her. I had opportunity to chat with her. Uh, Nancy Lieberman. And if you talk about Doris Burke, fellas, you want to talk about play-by-play, talk to that woman. Um, I mean, a lot of women, Ma Rashad, David Aldridge, first of all, both from D.C. area. That's my mumble saws brother. I always call him that. He's awesome. Every convention, we have this thing. We sit and we have coffee. So despite everybody that wants a piece of him, he just lets me have a piece of him that's personal, and I can talk to him. That's awesome. And let him know what's going on with me. David Aldridge and, and you know, um, Stuart Scott, because I always used to, I love interviewing, so I always used to love those personal interviews that he would have during the NBA Finals, and um, so many people, so many people, and, and you know, it's funny with mentorship, you don't have to be a mentor, and I can see your face every day, people don't understand how much they're mentors just being from afar, you know, being inspiring. Ultimately, what is a career goal that you want to end up having? I know growing up, even when I was in college, ESPN for me was the goal, especially in my early 20s. Now I'm 35. To me, it's not as big of a goal as it was back then. What do you feel at this point is your ultimate goal? And do you feel those things can change over time? I was just like you. I want to work for ESPN. I want to work for Yahoo Sports. I want to work for somebody. But now we're in a day and age where you can be a broadcaster without those names attached to you. And like I said with me, it's becoming more glorifying to be able to walk in as myself. My goals are to continue to grow my podcast, continue to grow to a point where it's respected amongst others, grow to the point where if I do get a chance to have it syndicated on XM Sirius or something of like that forth, people can turn on their radios and they can listen to me. I want to be a name that people respect in this industry and turn on their radios and get an entertaining conversation. I don't believe that goal is far-fetched. That's a goal that I'm already given, I'm already having, and I'm already being able to grow and watch it cultivate before my very eyes. Um, so to me, my goals are manifesting. I just got to do my best to finish the job, and it's being done, and it can be done. This industry, not for the week. You're going to have the, I mean, if I told you what was, what's going on with me, over the last two years and the changes that's gone on in my personal life as far as money. And I got fired from my job at the Four Seasons Baltimore, which I was working in hotels to make ends meet. And once I got fired from that a year ago, I said, it's time. It's time to finally do this. Now I'm working at Fox 45 as a part-time production assistant. I'm trying to find another job. I mean, the bills are piling up. You know, you have people around you saying, just get a job. I can work as a receptionist. I know I have many skills, but I wasn't put on this earth to do anything with be a sports broadcaster. And damn it, I'm going to do it, you know? 
And uh, I know there's a means to end to this. And not that I want to prove anything in anybody. And at one point, I found myself in a position to do that. All I want to do is do what I love and make a living out of it. That's all I want to do. And, you know, people say, you know, you can have a career change thing. There's nothing else I want to do more in my life, period. So let's just do it, shall we? And and I know God is with me on every bump in the road because it is very difficult. It's like being a lawyer. You know every step of the way, law school, then this, then the bar, then the... No, this industry, your big break might not be to you for But just hold on to the fact that you are doing the best you can. I try to, within my own tears, hold on to that every day. No, I completely understand that. I was recently let go from my job as a copy editor at one of the newspapers locally. And and the thing was, the job was no longer satisfying. I was hired for one thing, and it ended up being something completely different. I was hired as a sports copy editor after a couple years being a sports reporter. And the biggest thing after being a sports reporter and end up moving to a copy editing thing, you're out of the creative process. To me, I feel like you're sort of caretaking other people's work, but you're not being able to put your own out there. And I always felt like that was akin to a beat cop being saddled with a desk job. You can tell me how great of an upgrade that is, but it's not. To me, you are missing really what made you the best at what you were doing. And then, yeah, you take a job maybe for a transfer. And then when you see all these other things change where it doesn't allow you to do what you were doing or at a creative capacity, it's just a very unsatisfying position. And then me getting let go, that allowed me to get back to do some radio part-time and then it spurred me on to getting back into the podcast thing. I had recorded a whole bunch of episodes like late December, early January. Didn't do anything with them. And then all of a sudden I got back in the radio, got the bug. And that was a huge thing for me. So I definitely understand the situation. Yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from as well. And, and, and that's the beauty of these industries. We can have those kind of stories. We can have those kind of conversations. And then you can look back and see where you've come from from that. So I totally understand where you come from. And it's nothing like being able to create your own content. Oh, man, that's the most beautiful, rewarding thing you can ever do. So now you being from the Baltimore area, who are some of your teams? I assume that the Ravens are one of your teams, or is that something a little different? I am originally from Washington, D.C., sir. So I'm not a Baltimorean. (laughs) (laughs) Born and raised in Washington, D.C. area. I've lived in PG County. I've lived in Alexandria, Virginia. So I am a DMV girl all the way. And no, Baltimore is not a part of the DMV. I don't care how well you slice it, kick it, try to rub it down. It is not. So... I am a Washington Redskin, never dead. I am a Washington Redskin fan, and you can call us your leading NFC East Washington Redskins at this point in time. I grew up a big Lakers fan, a big Kobe Shaq fan. I've always had love for the home team, and especially covering the Wizards. It's become one of the things where I have a a soft spot for them. Um, The Capitals gave the nation's capital its first championship in my natural life. So, and because, I mean, the Redskins were three when I won, so it's not like I can remember that. I'm trying to figure out where I am basketball-wise these days because I end up watching that player spotlight with Shaq and Kobe. And I always want the Lakers to win, but I realized after watching that and seeing them sit down and nobody knew that they would ever be able to sit down like that. Watching that, I realized my nostalgia of how 
it put me back to feeling like a teenager again and watching them. My love for the Lakers might have left when Kobe Bryant walked away. But um, big Redskins fan, I was on my knees praying to God when they were playing the Dallas Cowboys and watching that game. It was the most emotional game of my life. That last minute 30 almost put me to hell. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan of the area team. I love Baltimore. I respect the Ravens as well. I mean, historically speaking, you talk about the defense like theirs back in the day with Ray Lewis and you got talk about guys like Ed Reed. You, you can't deny that greatness. And even now, you want to see the Ravens get it together. These must win the beginning of the season too much. You are the Baltimore Ravens. Get it done. And who in the hell knew Justin Tucker would miss one? But, uh, I mean, it's he's human America. That golden toe is still human. But, um, yeah, I'm a big sports fan of everything that's going on in this area. And for me, growing up on the eastern shore of Maryland, where it's such a weird mix, I didn't start watching sports until 1994. So at the time, I took the home team. So that meant the Bullets, Capitals, the Redskins, the Orioles, and those have been my teams and still are my teams, regardless of how well they do, regardless of whether they change their name or not, and regardless of the struggles that they have in the playoffs. And believe me, all those teams have had their share of struggles in the playoffs. And, yeah, it is very weird like i was i was telling someone who is on sort of opposite sides when it comes to baseball and football we go to orioles games together but he's a ravens fan i'm a redskins fan but it's sort of weird especially with that baltimore dynamic going to a game at fedex field for a redskins game and you go for the national anthem and especially when it gets to that last bar you still hear that big thunderous oh like as if you were in camden yards to me that's like one of the greatest feelings there is i know that with washington getting their own baseball team and the two towns separated by 40 miles they're trying to sort of get rid of those baltimore leanings that tend to still show up here and there it's it's a matter of identity and um because of having it be so inclusive for so long as you discussed i mean growing up in the nation's capital i mean i'm 30 i didn't have a, a baseball team this generation has the nationals i had the orioles once the nationals came i'm like oh i'm going to always want the nationals to be okay you know what i'm saying i mean look at bright side at least we're not in new york where there's different boroughs and it's the mets and then it's the yankees and they got to turn around and are you a jets fan or are you a giants fan or are you a Nets fan are you a Knicks fan there's so much there whereas here the beltway isn't as separated as we would like to think it is different cultures but it isn't as separated as we all think it is you know and then I've covered the Baltimore classic every year there's a preseason game in Baltimore because the Washington Wizards before they were the Washington Bullets they were the Baltimore Bullets and you know then they went to DC and then please don't talk about what happened with the Baltimore coach. Baltimore's got a lot of things taken away from us. <laughs> but at the same time, 95 South and 95 North are as separated as anybody thinks they are. Do you see yourself in an on-air television capacity in the near future? Is that something you want to do? Or is it mainly doing podcasts, doing over-the-air radio or things like that? Because I know everybody has their different opinions of particular fields. I never thought I would ever see myself being a print journalist. I always wanted to go into television or wanted to do radio play-by-play. But, you know, everybody's preference is different. I've done on-camera stuff. I've done radio stuff. I just fell in love with radio being around it for so long. And I always tell people radio is not dead. I'm able to be more of a journalist on air than I am writing or than I am in front of the television screen, you know. But, I mean, of course this face belongs on a tizzle. But... <laughs> 
I mean, I wish that us as journalists, and I think that goes into a, the, another answer to the question you asked me earlier. I think us as journalists need to stop trying to pick and choose. I'm going to be in front of the camera. I'm going to be behind the camera. I, I'm going to be in front of the mic. You can do it all. I, yesterday, I did a Facebook Live for our 50th episode. That's on air. And then it's over a mic in front of the airwaves. We did it at the same time. Don't sell yourself short by being one or the other. Do it all. Did you play any sports growing up? I know you mentioned sort of using the trash cans playing basketball, but did you play on maybe high school teams or recreational sports or? Uh, I did. I tried it, but I also realized that playing wasn't a goal of mine. The rush that I got from talking about sports and engaging in conversation, I didn't get that when I played. So I just like talking about it. And it's interesting. You hear some people who either have the athletic background or who just had the love of sports and and I was just curious about that question because everybody's experiences and background differ. So something can draw them to it as a result of a different thing. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's the struggle with journal athletes. How can you talk about me and tell me who I am when you never put a basketball in your hand? You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. But some people just have the expertise for it. But I love playing basketball. I had a little shot. <laughs> This question sort of off the cuff, but in your mind, what do you think is probably the more unique or interesting feat? Dunking a basketball, hitting a home run, scoring a touchdown. What do you think out of those three is the most unique moment in sports? That's hard, man. Come on. Oh, geez. Uh, I believe somebody that watched Michael Jordan with the follow through on his last finals and hitting that game winner. There's nothing that beats that. Then when you hit a home run out the park and you see the electricity in the World Series, it's another thing. And then when you score a touchdown, you had to go through all these men to get to that touchdown. Men that want to tackle the hell out of you. It's all electrifying in its own right. If I had to choose, I guess I would have to pick a touchdown because you're dodging three and, and something pound guys called a Dominican Sue and you gotta basically make your own maze to that promised land and once you get there it has to feel wonderful the journey there so I would have to say a touchdown if I had to choose I guess but they're all great you talked about the Cowboys Redskins game one of the biggest things when that kick went off the upright I was thinking man if this is baseball that's a home run but since it's not that's a Redskins win uh, I don't want to talk about that game. I'm emotional. I'm very emotional. If the Ravens were on the wrong side of a kick, the Redskins were definitely on the right side of a kick. And who knew a, a snap infraction? Thank you, Lord, because when that penalty happened, you couldn't tell me that the Redskins just didn't do extra yardage to just chip shot this. To be honest, I'm as excited as I am that they beat them and it was such a rivalry. I also was kind of upset because two chances to get in the end zone, you got to make that happen. I think Jay Gruden is playing it ultraly safe when what he's play calling sometimes. And I also feel like if the Redskins lost that game, they deserve to lose that game because Dallas was coming. So it feels like it's Monday and I'm having a good week. Don't, don't let me. <laughs> I'm just worried for the letdown. In the past few years, it's always been an issue. Three years ago, people were calling for Gruden's job, calling for getting rid of Big Bay and Cousins sort of not showing up when it mattered. And then last year, it was Cousins and Gruden. No one can blame McVeigh as he's helping the Rams win the NFC West. And now there's no Kirk Cousins. It's Gruden. 
you know, a lot of fans. I even said there's no way that they shouldn't be prepared. But you know, those divisional games are rough. Those divisional games are rough. You can say all you want to. Like, for example, you know, the Ravens should beat the Browns on paper. But at the same time, those games are kind of sort of rough because you can't really pinpoint it. And those type of games, divisional games, is any given Sunday. However, if you want respect, and if you're talking from a Washington Redskins perspective, the way to get respect, you got to beat the Dallas Cowboys. Because everybody, they've been kind of sort of having the upper hand all over the years. And that's our personal Super Bowl. I mean, you're going through all this triumph. And the Dallas Cowboys can lose two straight prior, and they come in and they beat the Redskins. They always have the number, you know. You got you got to be able to go in and solidify some respect, and that's the problem with the Redskins. I mean, you allow Drew Brees to have historical numbers that day, but if you can get respect, if it was handed to you, because you go in the Superdome, a game that on paper the Redskins had a shot to win. Because let's be real, New Orleans has to blow you out. The defense, that defense isn't prevalent. Redskins have a shot, and then you go in and lay an egg like that on uh, Monday Night Football. Do you want respect in this league or not? I think the biggest thing with Gruden is that when it comes to big games, primetime games, they don't show up at all. And that's the big issue. It'd be something different if it's just once in a while. He's one of the few coaches in the Daniel Snyder era to actually get to a fifth year. What do you feel like Jay Gruden will need to do in order to get beyond that fifth season and stay in Washington? He needs to do what he needs to do in the situations where it truly, truly matters. Monday Night Football, Kirk Cousins was 0-6 in Monday Night Football in your tenure. Statement games where you have to show the Redskins more than just what they think they are because nobody's paying attention to them. The Redskins couldn't get respect if it was handed to them, but it also starts at the coaching level because you have to be a leader. You have to take chances. You have to show that you believe in your guys. And I'm not sure if I've gotten that fully from Jay Groom. He's been bailed out of certain situations, but two minutes left in the game, the game is on the line. Those safe plays are no longer acceptable. Yeah, and I think while he has his reputation of being a player's coach, a player's coach can maybe sometimes go only but so far. Eventually, those players will end up taking advantage of it, and it feels like with some teams, after a player's coach, you need a disciplinarian like a Tom Coughlin or something like that that could you know, right the ship and get these guys playing to their maximum potential. I'm not advocating that you replace Jay Gruden with a uh, Tom Coughlin-type figure or Tom Coughlin at all, but the question is how much further can he go with these guys? I mean, the Redskins have made some good improvements. Eric Guy, who knew Adrian Peterson will be playing well the way that he's playing at 33. Alex Smith is not that bad. You just got to allow him to use his arm. Defensively, our secondary still use some improvement, but it's not that bad in this NFL. It's just putting all the pieces together, and it seems like it's taking Jay Gruden too long to, to solidify the Redskins as a team that's something to be actually afraid of, and it's not just an up-and-down roller coaster every year. As we start getting close to the conclusion of this interview, I just want to ask you, when it comes to sports movies, what are some of your favorite sports movies? I like a good old Remember the Titans every once in a while. Yeah, that is a really good movie, especially, of course, everybody will go back and look at the performance of Denzel Washington in that movie. And I feel like that there's a lot of great inspirational sports movies. You have a lot of funny sports movies and you have some that are so low budget that it's really hard to really take them seriously. I think a good movie that sort of is stealthily good that doesn't get the attention that it should is... I think Major League Two is one of those movies that doesn't get its due. I know that it gets overshadowed by its predecessor and 
I know there's a lot of other baseball movies out there that came around that time growing up, like The Sandlot and <laughs> Rookie of the Year. I feel like those baseball movies are good on a different level, something when you look at as a child as opposed to being an adult. Yeah, those type of things, too. I like A League of Their Own. I like that movie about the All-American League for Women during the war and there was baseball. And I like that movie with Madonna and all that in it. Her, she was in there. Friday Night Lights. You can't forget classics like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mikhail, I do appreciate all of your help and you taking the time out of your busy schedule to participate in this interview. What is the best way people can reach out to you and interact with you? Oh, man, you can follow me on, on Instagram at Mikhail Shade, M-Y-K-E-L-L-S-A-D-E, all together, Shade, just like the finger. You can follow me on Facebook, Mikhail Ramos, M-Y-K-E-L-L-R-A-M-O-S. Follow Rolling with Ramos, episode 50, 50 episodes in. Follow us on our Instagram page, at Rolling with Ramos, all together, R-O-L-L-I-N-G, with Ramos. You can follow us on Twitter, at Roll with Ramos. You can follow us on Facebook, at Rolling with Ramos. We appreciate all the support. I appreciate your support. And always let me know how you feel, how you're thinking. I want to hear from you. And one more question. I know that you named your episodes after specific athletes. How do you come up with particular episode titles for your shows? Well, you know, at the beginning it was easy because there was a lot of athletes with the numbers that we were celebrating the episode. It's kind of gotten sort of harder as we've gotten more into episode 40, 50, 60. Episode 50 was easy. Episode 50, the Admirals, you know, that one was easy. The David Robinson edition. 51, uh, that might be difficult. 52, of course, Ray Lewis. You know, it's either how we're feeling that week or we can even correlate the number to the jersey. Luckily, to correlate the number to the jersey is great. If not, then it's episode 49 because we're one episode away from 50. You know, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do have a suggestion once you get to episode 75. Yes. The Allen Mills edition. That's okay. the only baseball player I can think of that wore 75. So it's an easy number to come up with, especially once you start getting to maybe like football players and things like that. But I know you'll... You want people to know the numbers of the jerseys, you know, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know once you get to episode 99, that's easy. You got the Wayne Gretzky edition and 100. What are you going to do for 100? I don't know yet. I'm not going to get to that point for some time next year. Probably not till around this time next year. We record once a week, so got to take our time to get to there. And if we take off a week, like Thanksgiving, my uh, co-host won't be in town. So it's either I find someone else to co-host it with me or we take the week off. I don't want to, but, you know, then it takes longer to get to 100, but it's all good. Are most of your episodes live? We've just started implementing Facebook Live. We've got a tripod now, so it's a new toy I can use. And, um, but you can always catch it on, you can go to iTunes, type in the working class, look for a white icon, and Rolling with Ramos pops right up all of the episodes. Or you can just go to SoundCloud and type in Rolling with Ramos. I do appreciate it once again, and I hope to have you back uh, where the technology's a little bit easier and a little bit better. <laughs> Oh, man, it doesn't really matter. Just as long as we get the job done, it's all good. And that concludes my interview with Mikel Ramos. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed it, and I look forward to having her share more of her insight in the future. Next week, we'll have one of our first repeat guests, Dante Finney. We'll discuss the recent fallout from the scandal involving the University of Maryland football team, how he, as a personal trainer, tries to prevent overexertion and dehydration, 
during workouts with clients, as well as a number of other topics. To listen to past interviews, go to thesportsrefuge.com, or you can find the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, CastBox, Blueberry, Acast, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, and now TuneIn. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. If we pick your review, we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode of the podcast. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Tune in next time for more interviews on sports, pop culture, and everything in between. For more information on the show, go to the Sports Refuge website at www.thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at the Sports Refuge Sports Blog.